So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 John 4. 1 John 4 is where we'll be this morning. Someone just mentioned to me, just remember the clock is 15 minutes fast. Or slow, sorry. I didn't even listen. <laughs> anyway, meant to be a joke, but I guess it was, so there we go. First John 4 is where we'll be this morning, continuing our study in the book of First John. Let's read our passage this morning. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the Spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the, father, that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first 
loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we have sung beautiful things this morning, truths. And we echo what we've sung, to you be the glory. That perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God. And part of that promise is to be able to know more of Scripture. And may our next few moments together lead to the deepening of our understanding of the Word of God, which, Lord, you promise will lead to a deepening understanding of who you are. And we believe wholeheartedly that you are indeed the God of wonders. And may we not forget that to sing the universe declares your majesty that includes us your church may we declare your majesty by looking to the pages of scripture to be changed and to grow in our understanding of you all glory be to Christ we pray amen 1 John 4, we'll be covering a lot of ground today, this entire chapter, because you may have noticed in our time of reading it, how many of you noticed that he repeats himself a little bit? A couple of you, I think, I think more of you did, you just didn't want to raise your hand, that's okay. He repeats himself quite a bit here in this chapter. Um, a lot of the things that we've looked at prior to today um, he, he speaks again, and he, he references again. So rather than go through those things again, we're going to go through and just point out two or three key things here of this passage. I have two points for you this morning, just two, um, but I have lots of time according to that fast clock. So two points. The first one is content matters to God. If you're taking notes, content matters to God. The word content defined by Merriam-Webster, is topics or matter treated in a written work. Content is the thing that makes up something, okay? What's found in something, okay? And we value content um, often in our lives, and sometimes we may value it in in a less severe way. For example, if you're putting gas in your vehicle... Do you care too much about the content that's in that fuel? Not really. You're just putting it in because you need it, right? But if you're maybe at a restaurant for the first time and you're wondering about something that's in a certain meal, you might ask the waiter or the waitress, what's in this? And you care a little bit more about the content, okay? God cares about the content within his church. And we see that here in verse 1 when when the Apostle John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits 
to see whether they are from God. The word test here, as defined by the Lunata lexicon, says to try to learn the genuineness of something by examination and testing, often through actual use. To test, to examine, to try to determine the genuineness of. And from this, we gather that content is important within the people of God, and content is important within the believer of God. Because the word believe here that John uses is the same word that's used elsewhere in Scripture to talk about belief unto salvation. It's the same Greek word. And it means to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. To believe in, to have confidence in, to have faith in, or to trust in. The Apostle John, in a sense, is repeating himself here by saying, do not believe every spirit, but test them. Determine the genuineness of them. Don't put your faith and trust in everything, okay? Now, if you've been with us for a few weeks, you've seen that uh, we, we've learned in chapter two that he talks a bit about this, okay? We've covered a lot of ground on this already, of the, the spirit of the Antichrist that he talks in chapter two. And I think John already did a very good job of, of writing this letter and wanting and, and relaying to his church, the, the recipients of this letter, the importance of that. But for some reason, under the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he begins to pen this chapter and says much the same. Don't believe every spirit, but test them. Determine the genuineness to see that whether they are from God. Well, what does he mean by spirit? John Stott says this in regards to this passage. Behind every prophet is a spirit. And behind each spirit either God or the devil. Before we can trust any spirits, we must test them. It is their origin that matters. Now, in the previous chapter, John talks a lot about being born of God and born of the devil, okay? And when we're born of God, we abide in him and we practice what? Righteousness. But if we're born of the devil, we do not abide in God and we practice what? Lawlessness. And that's ex exactly what transitions into here, okay? This distinction, last week we looked at the dichotomy of love and hate, the distinction between love and hate. It's the same when it comes down to the spirits, okay? The prophecies, the teachings, those who teach. They're either practicing righteousness from God or they're practicing lawlessness not from God. And this is why we point out that content matters to God. Listen to what John Calvin says in regards to this passage. For it is the case perpetually with the gospel that Satan attempts to pollute and corrupt its purity by variety of errors. And we see this elsewhere in Scripture. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians 5, verse 
20 and 21. Do not despise prophecies, but what? Test everything. Same word. Hold fast what is good. The Apostle Paul wanted the Thessalonians to test things, to determine the genuineness of teaching. Why? Because Mark chapter 13 reveals a very stern warning from our Lord. Mark 13 verse 5 says this. This is Jesus speaking. See that no one leads you astray. Listen to this next word, verse 6. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. How many of you would have preferred if Christ said few or little, right? I would have, but he didn't. He said many. Why? Because many were indeed going to come. Many do come. There is always opposition, as Calvin says here. It's perpetually the case with the gospel. Make no mistake. It is a promise. And we see this charge for content, this importance on the content within a body of believers, we see this in the Old Testament as well. And I want to share with you, look at the Old Testament model of this, okay? Deuteronomy 13, everyone's favorite book, the book of Deuteronomy. We see the, the beginning not even the beginning, but a clear example in, in the early part of God's dealings with humanity, the importance that is put on content within God's people. Deuteronomy 13.1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery. Talking uh, coincides a little bit with what John was saying about the propitiation. To make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son, or your daughter, or the wife you embrace, or your friend who is at your own soul entices you secretly, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the people who are around you, whether near you or far off from you, from the one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him. 
nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him. For you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to, be put, to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. You shall stone him with, to death with stones, because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all Israel shall hear and fear and never again do any wickedness as this among you. It's pretty clear just in that passage, God's level of severity that he puts within content, on the content within his people. It was told them that they were to remove the person who was prophesying falsely by death, okay? To identify, test what they say, and to act in defiance of that to remove that person. And that's what God commanded the nation of Israel to do. Now, fast forward a few years, you get to Jeremiah 4. Jeremiah 4 says this, Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, Blow the trumpet through the land, cry aloud and say, Assemble and let us go into the fortified cities. Jeremiah 4, 6 now. Raise a standard toward Zion, flee for safety, stay not. For I will bring disaster from the north and great destruction. A lion has gone up from his thicket, a destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitant. For this, put on sackcloth, lament and wail. For the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. In that day, declares the Lord, courage shall fail both king and officials. The priests shall be appalled and the prophets astounded. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, surely you have utterly deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying, it shall be well with you, whereas the sword has reached their very life. We see here just one circumstance in the major prophets elsewhere in the minor prophets where that passage we read in Deuteronomy 13 wasn't obeyed. It wasn't heeded. They did not care. In fact, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 2, that those who handle the law did not even know God. So the, the command to purge the evil person from the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 13, and it's elsewhere in the Pentateuch, was not obeyed. It was not listened to. And if you don't believe me, read Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the Minor Prophets. You see sin after sin come into the nation of Israel. Why? Because they didn't test the spirits. They were enticed to go elsewhere against God, and they did. Because they denied following God's command towards them. Now, the questions everyone asking, everyone might be asking, well, what about today, right? What about today? Let's go to 2 Timothy 3. Five. 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. We looked at this passage in our men's study this week. By the way, exemplary husband, men's study every Thursday night. 
it is going terribly, okay? And I mean that to say that God's really working on us, okay? God's really working on us. Um, he's working on me. Uh, it's going great, but he's uh, really showing some things that I need to work on. If you can come out to that, that is awesome. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Verse 1 says, but understand this, that in the last days, translation might say latter days, or in the end days, and then he lists all of these things that are going to happen. People in the last days are going to be more inclined to cohere with this passage than anything else. And what Paul is wanting Timothy to do is to avoid them. This is the New Testament model that we see with the Deuteronomy 13 Old Testament model. Okay? We are to not act as Deuteronomy 13, but instead test these spirits, as John says in 1 John 4, and not to believe them. The word avoid here means to purposefully to avoid association with someone, to shun, to avoid, to keep away from, to have nothing to do with. So the recognition of a false prophet, of a false teacher, okay, is to cause us to have some distance between them. Now, keeping this within context, this is within the household of God. This is within the saints of God. This is within the church of God, the bride of Christ, okay? And also, Romans 16, verse 17, says the following. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. A little bit of a different Greek word here used for avoid means to deviate or turn away from. So clearly we see the Old Testament model is to remove that person. The New Testament model is to avoid them. Now, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel didn't do a very good job of obeying that. And I think sometimes we fall into that category as well, globally, universally, because sometimes, rather than avoiding the people who are teaching things that are doctrines of Satan, we don't treat them like we should. We don't deviate from them. Instead, we fellowship in ways that we shouldn't. We have to understand that content matters. Content matters. And reasons why s the spirits aren't tested. Well, you could give a, quite a few reasons. I just jotted down a few. Lethargy, 
laziness, negligence, flat-out disobedience, not wanting to do it, but I think the underlying cause, you might disagree, that's all right, biblical illiteracy. The only way I'm going to know if a spirit is not a spirit of God, a teaching is not a teaching of God, is if I know, in fact, the teaching of God. The more we come to familiarize ourselves with the teachings of Christ, with the teachings of the Word, the more we're going to look at other things and say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right, okay? And folks, this applies to to the podcasts we listen to, the messages in some songs, everything that we allow into our lives. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm someone who often studies, okay, the other camp, okay? And that's okay, I'm not saying you can't. But within the context of the church of God, within the saints of God, we have to be unafraid to point to things that we might see as inconsistencies within the doctrines of Christ. Because at stake, well, is our adherence to the word of God. Listen to what Spurgeon says in regards to this. It was so in John's day, it is so in these days. If there were only one false prophet, we should have need to be on guard. But many false prophets have gone out into the world. If false prophets were all shut up in one cage and we had to go to seek them, there might be some danger from them. But there is so much danger more now. The importance of understanding what this content is, what content we're allowing in our lives. And to get specific here, moving along here in this passage, John is speaking against, again, the spirit of the Antichrist, okay, in verse 2, he, talk, he says this, by this you know the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses, what, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And this is when he begins to revert back to the teaching that he referenced or taught about in chapter 2, when he's speaking against Gnosticism. Okay, Gnosticism was this view that, that matter was bad and spirit was good. So you just remove all matter from everything and you just put yourself in a spiritual state and that's how you become perfect in a sense. But also at stake here is Docetism, which is the teaching that Christ didn't actually come in the flesh. That Christ is more of this, this metaphysical um, being that came and his message is just kind of in us and it kind of applies to us, okay? It's the denial of the physical embodiment of Christ. And at stake here, folks, is the deity of Christ. Because when you begin to dumb down or water down the deity of Christ, okay, you begin to adhere to these spirits that the Apostle John is warning against. Gnosticism is alive and well today. Go with me to 2 Peter 2, verse 1. 
the Apostle John is not the only apostle who was teaching against it. 2 Peter 2.1 But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying who? The master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. That's not happening today, is it? And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he bought, brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to the extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteousness under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Make no mistake, God cares about the doctrine of the deity of Christ. He cares about it in your life and in mine because on the doctrine of the deity of Christ that he did come in the flesh hinges our entire redemption, hinges everything that we represent and worship and are thankful for because of what God did in us. And make no mistake, those who mix that with something else God will not forget. God cares. And as Peter speaks about in the passage we just read, God will eventually bring those things to judgment. In short, how we view Christ is what determines our fate. And within the deity of Christ, you could, you could ask this question to, to any religion any life belief system, any friend, anyone who has somewhat of an understanding of God or, or does not, the question can be this, what have you done with Christ? What do you believe Christ to be? Because on that, your answer, my answer, on that question, hints whether or not we're in line with the scriptures because the scriptures clearly teach that Christ came. Listen to what John says in the first few verses of this letter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Debunking docetism concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, speaking of Christ, we proclaim to you. 
so that you too may have fellowship with us. Content matters. Content matters. And the content of the person of Christ is what John wants this church to understand. Our second point, just moving along here, character matters to God. Not only does content matter, but character matters to God. In verses 7 through 21, John, in a great way, repeats himself to the things that we've been looking at already. And talks about the importance of loving one another, okay? The importance of loving the brethren, loving your fellow brother or sister in Christ. And, and last week we looked at a lot of that, um, a lot of that already. But I want to point out a couple new things here, okay? According to John's wording here, well, let's just read verses 7 and a few. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. One of the beautiful things about who God is and his character, there are many things, but one is that he is a loving God, okay? He is a loving God, and that itself sets him apart from other false deities and false teaching, okay? I want to read this. Who we are reflects our view of God. Who we are reflects our view of God. If I am a, a worrisome, fearful, and anxious person, okay, always, what does that say about my view of God's sovereignty? Not much, right? So if I'm someone who does not love my brother and sister in Christ, what does that say about my understanding of who God is? Because God is love. We can't deny, okay, an integral piece of God's intrinsic character, and that's love. And this whole passage and the passage before it talks about abiding in him, remaining in him, okay, staying in Christ. And for us to say, yeah, I, I'd really like to, I really want to abide in him. I think I am, but I just hate all these Christians, right? That doesn't make sense, okay? That doesn't make sense. And we have to understand, I have to understand, the importance of, of knowing God to the extent of me professing that I do know God means that I must love the people of God. Listen to what John Stott says in regards to this. For the loveless Christian to profess to know God and to have been born of God is like claiming to be intimate with a foreigner whose language we cannot speak or to have been born of parents whom we do not in any way resemble. It is to fail to manifest the nature of him whom we claim as our father, born of God, and our friend knows God. Love is as much a sign of Christian authenticity as is righteousness. And Stott also points out verse 7, verse 11, and verse 12 all say a variation of loving one another. Your character, my character, matters to God. As a believer in Christ, who we are in our character is important. 
who we are in our view of God because our views of God form our character, and that must be love. Listen to these words here. Verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. What is he saying here? This is the, really the, one of the only new things that he speaks about here in this passage. There is no fear in love. Is he talking about the, the fear of God that we're supposed to have and commanded to? No. He's talking about the fear that causes us to worry or the fear that causes us to run from him. Listen to what Stott says here in regards to that verse. That is, there is no room for fear in love. The two are as incompatible as oil and water. We can love and reverence God simultaneously, but we cannot approach him in love and hide from him in fear at the same time. Now remember, this is a letter to Christians. And maybe you're here this morning and the Lord's working in your life saying, you know what, these spirits that I'm supposed to be testing, I haven't done a very good job. I think of my own life and my own short time in ministry, okay? I would be a fool if I said to you this morning that every message or everything I've ever said to anyone has been completely sound doctrine and I've never made any heretical mistakes. Somewhere they're, they're there, okay? And God's been teaching me and he teaches. And we realize things. And maybe you're realizing, you know what, these, these spirits that I'm supposed to test, I haven't been doing a very good job, okay? Be mindful of how John ends that chapter by saying, God is love. And the propitiation of that sin, he is able to forgive. Listen to one of my favorite verses, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, yet sinners, currently sinners, Christ died for us. God is love, and he wants us to love each other. And that begins by testing these spirits. And please understand, I'm learning in this as well. It is a challenge, but it is something that we cannot neglect. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage that tells us that greater in us, Lord, are you than he who is in the world. And as your church, as a born-again believer, I thank you for that. I pray that we as a church would understand this truth this morning, apply it. And Lord, may we understand more of your word for the sake of, of, of knowing more of you, but also in harmony to be able to discern different things that we may, might not need in our lives. Thank you for this church, this local work here. Thank you for the believers. I pray that you would bless us as we go our separate ways this Lord's day. In Christ's name, amen.